Glad you all are with us. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles? You can uh, grab a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can grab your own or uh, you can follow me along, follow along with me on the screen. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7 as we are nearing an end to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. Starting in verse 13, we will be looking at uh, verses 13 through 20. 13 through 20 in the Gospel of Matthew. As we continue on in our sermon series, The King and His Kingdom. Today, like the final scene of this movie, which I'm sure you are all familiar with, this final scene in Indiana Jones, we come to the final scene, what is the final scene in the Sermon on the Mount. And like the clip that we just saw, Jesus begins to close his sermon by laying out a very clear choice for his hearers and for me and you today. Either we believe in personally and trust in Jesus as our Savior, and then begin to live lives in obedience to his words, or we choose to reject him and to seek to live lives in obedience to ourselves. The old knight in the Indiana Jones scene, like the old knight, Jesus this morning in this section is going to say to us, you must choose. You must choose, but choose wisely. For as the true gospel will bring you life, the false gospel will take it from you. Let's pray, if you will, and then we'll dive right in. Father, we pray your blessings upon the teaching and preaching and hearing of your word. Jesus, as you speak to us about these two paths, the path that leads to life and the path that leads to destruction. May we investigate to see what path we are on, because we want to choose the narrow path. Yes, the path that is more difficult, knowing that that path, your path, leads to life. Father, we ask it in the name of Jesus, our God and King, and all of God's people together said, Amen. Well, as we close, or get close to closing, the Sermon on the Mount, in verses 13 through 29 of chapter 7, we are going to get a look at biblical wisdom literature at its best. Because what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to give us four contrasting illustrations, four word pictures in which there is a clear contrast, a clear either-or choice, in which Jesus is going to say over and over again in these four illustrations, make your choice. Make your choice. First of all, we're going to see two roads. Verses 13 and 14, two roads revealing the true path versus the false path. Jesus is then then going to use the illustration of trees, two trees in verses 15 through 20, revealing those who are true prophets of God versus those who are false prophets of God. Next, in verses 21 through 23, we will see two types of professions, revealing to us that there are two types of disciples. There, is, there are true disciples of Jesus, and there are false disciples of Jesus. Finally, with this word image that you probably learned in Sunday school, there are two houses, right? The wise man built, right? This house upon the sand, right? So we'll, we'll see this picture of two houses in verses 24 through 29 contrasting for us two eternities, two 
eternities. I think that there's a progression here in these illustrations, these four illustrations that Jesus is going to give us. First of all, a a person has to choose whether they're going to trust in Jesus Christ or whether they're going to reject Jesus Christ. And then when a person takes takes the broad road that leads to destruction, well, what happens next? They become susceptible to false prophets, to false trees, if you will. They are led astray. Having then listened to the wrong voice, they fool themselves into thinking that they are really a disciple of Jesus. But in actuality, they deny him by their lifestyle. And Jesus will warn them that eventually he will reject them. We see this in the illustration of the two professions, if you will. Finally, when the storms and the winds of death and judgment beat against our house. These people who have built their lives on the sand, Jesus tells us, their eternity will fall with a great crash. Having not built their lives on the firm foundation of faith in Jesus Christ and following him as his disciple. So, two, two roads, two trees, two professions, and two houses. Let's begin this morning. We're going to take a look at the first two pictures in Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 13 and running into verse 14, we see Jesus talk about two roads. The true path versus the false path. So look in your Bible with me, if you will, starting in verse 13. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Here, Jesus compares two different types of gates that lead to two different types of roads that results in two different types of destinies for two different quantities of people. Take a look at the first. First, Jesus says that there is a wide gate, right? So there's a progression here. There is a gate, if you will, that leads to a road. He says there is a wide, wide gate, and that that wide gate then leads to a wide Road. Think more path, if you will. Let me ask you a quick question. In, in Jesus' day, in times when most people walked from location to location, why would a path, why would a path be wide? Just think about it for a second. It's a simple answer. Because many people chose to walk on it, right? The more people that would take a path, of course, the wider the path would be. And generally speaking, because most people would take that particular path that was most likely easier or safer to go that particular route. There was little resistance, and many people took that type of path. But notice, what is the end result that Jesus talks about here? He says, for, for those folks that are taking the enter through the wide gate, that are walking on the wide path, What is the destiny or the result of taking that road? Well, we would expect that since most people took that path, they made that choice, that the end of that road would be good. It would be life-giving, right? 
well, most people do it. It's got to be good. But what does Jesus say is the end result of taking this wide path and entering in this wide gate? Jesus said it's the road that leads to destruction. And notice, how many people did Jesus say would take that type of a path? He says many, many enter through it. So there's a wide gate and there's a wide path and most people, many people choose that path. But what's the result of walking down that road? Jesus says it is destruction. However, in contrast, there is a different gate and there is a different type of road that leads to a different type of destiny and there is a different quantity of people who take it. There is a narrow gate. And and that narrow narrow gate leads to a a really narrow, a a smaller type of road. Now think about it. In Jesus' day, why would a, a, a path or a road be narrow? Same answer, because few people would choose to take it. Maybe it was more dangerous. Maybe it was less direct. Maybe it was harder terrain. But for whatever the reason, fewer people chose to walk on this path, and so the road would naturally be narrower. It's interesting. Notice, take a look at the end of verse 14. Jesus says, but, but small is the gate. This word in, in Greek, small, is very closely related to the word often translated tribulation or hardship or difficulty. So Jesus, friends, is telling us something about this narrow gate. He's telling us something about this narrow path. He's saying that this is a harder path, that we should expect danger if we choose to go on this path. So then what would we expect to be at the end of such a road? It's a narrow gate, and it's a narrow path, and it's a harder road. So what would we expect would be the end result of taking such a road? Well, we would expect that it probably isn't good because this is a harder path. Not many people take it. But, but what does Jesus say? He says, that road leads to life. It leads to life. In contrast to the wider path, he says, the, he says of the narrow road, how many people choose to take it? Not many. Not many. Only a few, Jesus says, find it. Last summer, my family and I had the great privilege of going down to Texas to visit my family, and we rented a a, a beach house for me and my sister and my mom and dad, and it was right on the beach. It It was wonderful, and we spent two or three days there and had a great time, and when we first got there, we were checking out the house, and we wanted to know... How do we get to the beach? I mean, it was right there, but, but there was kind of this, this, um, this area that you had to walk through in order to get to the actual sandy beach. And it was tall grass. It just didn't look real inviting. You knew that you had to walk through it or around it. And I noticed uh, that there was a pathway that was pretty direct, pretty much from our, our rented house right to the beach. And it was kind of a, a wider path. You could tell that, that many people took this path. But then I noticed a sign that looked something like this one. Beware of snakes on the dunes. Now, this wasn't the exact warning, but it was very similar. It said, warning, if you go through this path, there might be snakes. And friends, we're talking about bad Texas rattlesnakes. 
That's what we're talking about, rattlesnakes. And so I was like, well, it's a wide path. It's easy and more direct. But do I want to get bitten by a rattlesnake? But then I noticed that there was a second path that people from this little neighborhood where I, we rented this house, and it was, a, it was a longer path. It was a narrower path. You could tell that not many people took it. It was more indirect. It, it essentially went around this high kind of duny type of, type of thing. Um, but there was no sign that said, beware of the snakes. And so you could say that there was a broad path, and many people took it, but it was, a, it was a dangerous path. It was a path that could lead to destruction. But there was a smaller path. Not many people took it, but it was a path that led to life. So, friends, moving beyond this picture here, what, what is Jesus telling us? What is Jesus saying? This is what Jesus is telling us. He is setting before us an either-or choice regarding eternal life and entrance into his kingdom. One choice leads to eternal life, while the other choice leads to eternal destruction in hell. The gate and the road that leads to hell and to judgment, Jesus says, is the path that most people will choose. Did you catch that? It's the path that most people walk on. They think that they're on, they are on the right path, but it will end in destruction and death. I think of the ACDC song, Highway to Hell. Maybe you're familiar with it. I went online this week and I looked at the lyrics and the author there, if I'm understanding him correctly, um, refers to his loose living and his lavish lifestyle, making it a proverbial highway to hell. Friends, Jesus is telling us that there is a highway to hell. That there is a pathway that you can choose that will land you in eternal destruction. The pathway of rejecting him as your personal savior. That is a highway to hell. However, there is another option. There is a narrow gate. There is a narrow road, and it leads to eternal life. But Jesus says, few find it. Few find it. The majority of the world will not take this path. It's a harder path. It's a difficult path to be a disciple of Jesus. Few, t- few people take it, but it leads to eternal life. Notice in verse 13, it's significant that Jesus begins this little uh, two verses by saying, he's pleading with his audience. He's pleading with us, enter through the narrow gate. He's not only saying you have option A and you have option B. You have road A and you have road B. But he's telling you which one to walk through. He's not, he's not leaving it ambiguous. He's not saying, well, you can take this path and you can take that path and either path you'll be okay. Friends, what is Jesus saying? He begins by saying the narrow path is the path that leads to life. So take it. Enter that narrow path. Choose to trust in him as your personal savior. Continue in a life in submission to him as your Lord, as his disciple. I like what Dr. John Hanna of Dallas Seminary once said. He said, no one who is ever in hell will be able to say to God, you put me here. And no one who is in heaven will ever be able to say, I put myself here. It's great. So there are about 
four implications of this text that I see for us. Number one, you have chosen a path. I have chosen a path. You have chosen a path. Everyone has chosen a path. See, Jesus doesn't say that there's an option C, right? There is no option C. There is A and there is B. There is no riding the fence. There is no in-between. You and I are currently on the road, on the path leading to hell, or on the road, the path leading to heaven, depending upon what we do with Jesus. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, verse 18, puts it this way. He says, Whoever believes in him, referring to himself, whoever believes in, in me, you could say, is not condemned. Path number one. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Option B, right? Jesus says, friends, you are on a path. You're on the narrow road that leads to life. You are on the broad road that leads to destruction. So the pressing question really for each and every one of us, is which path are you on, right? I mean, that's the most important question. Which path are you on? Number two, the broad path, Jesus says, is easy in a sense. And the narrow path is harder. But Jesus is telling those of us who are his disciples, it's worth it. It's worth walking the narrow path. He's telling us who are his true disciples. He says, listen, just be aware that if you choose to walk through the gate, which is faith in me, and then you choose to walk the road of discipleship, which is following me, it's going to be hard. It's wrought with danger. Know what you're signing up for, friends, when you become a Christian, right? It's not easy street. That's not what Jesus preaches. And anybody who tells you that, Well, we're going to talk about them here in just a second when we talk about false false teachers, okay? It's difficult. He's saying to be my disciple means swimming upstream. It means living differently than the majority of the people around you. It means having a different morality. It means having a different attitude. It means having different beliefs. In contrast, for those who have not yet chosen the path of life, that broad road, in some sense, is easier. You don't feel accountable to anyone but yourself. If you're an unbeliever, you're not, you don't feel like you're accountable to God. You do what makes you happy, not what makes God happy. You can redefine good and bad and right and wrong according to your standards, not according to God's standards. And on and on it goes. So Christian, realize what you have signed up for. A road that is less traveled and a road that is more difficult. But take heart. Because there's an end to that road, right? Jesus says, Christian, if you're walking the narrow road, know that if you walk it faithfully, the end is life. It leads to eternal life. So take heart. I heard a story of a pastor. Um, A a pastor was telling this story this week, and I'd like to, to share it with you. He was telling about an experience. He was at the gym, and he was working out the gym, and I guess he had a Bible verse on his shirt. So he was doing his exercise, whatever, and the guy next to him noticed that there was a Bible verse on his shirt. And so the guy asked him, hey, are you a Christian? Are you one of those Christians? The pastor said, yes, I am. And so the man said, oh, so you're, you're one of the good guys, huh? You know, good in quotations. 
showing that he thought that Christians were just kind of narrow-minded, moral people, you know. And the pastor said, well, yeah, I, I try to be. To which the man then replied, you know, pastor, good guys finish last. You know, pastor, good guys finish last. To which the pastor wittingly replied, maybe, but bad guys go to hell. Kind of a, a, a smart return, but friends, in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you Christians realize it's a hard, it's a hard road, but the end is eternal life. Number three, most have chosen the broad path. Jesus makes this abundantly clear, does he not? Most have and most will choose the path of rejecting him as their Savior and their Lord, opting to live for themselves and their pleasures and their desires, and the end of that road will be eternal judgment. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Friends, lest we buy the lie that somehow everyone will end up in heaven, whether sooner or later, Jesus, in no unclear terms, says that most will choose the path leading to their own death. Most will choose the path leading to their own death. Jesus said it's good to be narrow-minded in this sense. Choose the narrow path. Number four, here's the good news. We can switch paths, right? We don't have to stay on the road that we're on. There is reason Jesus begins by saying, enter through the narrow gate. Even if you have entered through the broad gate and you're on the broad road, Jesus implores you. Hop off. Exit right, right? Right now. Take the first exit and hop on a different road going a different way. Enter through the narrow gate. Place your faith in me and begin to follow me as your Lord and as your Savior. So, Jesus begins the end of his sermon and he sets forth a very clear choice for us. You can choose road A or you can choose road B. B. He, he says to us, make your choice. Make your choice. Well, he warns us about taking a false path. But next, in verses 17 through 20, he doesn't talk not only about the false path, but he, he talks about false prophets who lead people on those false paths. In other words, how do some people end up on the false path? Well, they listen to false prophets verses 15 through 20. He gives us the illustration of two trees. Two trees, two different types of trees. True prophets and false prophets. Jesus continues in verse 15 with a warning. He says, watch out for false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. It's interesting to me, it's very significant, that out of the 27 books in the New Testament, 24 of them, including Matthew's, warn us against people who claim to speak from God and who are not. You think that the Bible is telling us that this is important? Absolutely. So why then do we need to watch out for them, to be constantly vigilant, so to speak? Well, let's read the rest of the verse. He tells us in verse 15, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Jesus here uses 
an incredible word picture. He says, false prophets appear outwardly to be sheep of his fold. They appear externally to be Christians, but inwardly and in reality, they are wolves whose only goal is to prey upon the flock for their own ends. And I I look at this picture, I came across it many years ago, and I've saved it for such an occasion. Friends, that's the type of person that Jesus is warning us against. A wolf in sheep's clothing. So the question then becomes, how do we know if a person is a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? How do we know? Well, verses 16 through 20, Jesus gives us an answer. And it's the second illustration here in the closing section. It's the illustration of the two types of of trees. Jesus will say it two times in verses 16 through 20 to get it through our thick skulls. This is how you do it. By their fruit, you will recognize them. He says it at the beginning. He says it at the end. He wants us to know. You want to know if it's a false prophet, if it's a false teacher? Look at their fruits. I take it to mean their deeds and their doctrine. Take a look at verse 16. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Here's the illustration. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Of course not. Verse 17. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then he repeats what he's saying, just to make sure we understand, verse 20. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. At the start and at the stop, he wants us to know, you recognize false prophets by their fruit. So it's a simple illustration, right? I don't have to spend much time on it. We know the nature of a tree by the fruit it produces, right? That's, that's what Jesus is saying. It's simple. We know the nature of the tree by the fruit it produces. So if you have a tree in your yard and apples bloom from it, guess what? It's an apple tree. If you have a bush and thorns grow on it, guess what? It's a type of thorn bush. Friends, if you see and hear someone claiming to speak God's truths and what you're hearing from their lips flatly contradicts the word of God and their lifestyle is one of self-promotion and sin, then guess what you got? A false prophet, right? It's very simple what Jesus is saying. Notice also in these verses, what happens to trees that don't bear good fruit? Referring to false prophets here. They are cut down and thrown into the fire. Undeniably a reference to eternal judgment. Here's what Jesus is saying. Friends, false teachers not only lead other people on the broad path that leads to destruction, but they themselves are walking that path right? They also are on the path that leads to a fiery destruction. Now, Jesus is general here. I personally wish he would have been more specific. He says, be careful, wolf in sheep's clothing. Okay, how do we know what they are? Well, you'll know them by their fruit. Okay, like what type of fruit, Jesus? Like, give me some more specifics. And, and so he's general here, and I think he does that for a reason. Because Jesus is a Jew, and he believed all of the Bible, including the Old Testament. And guess what? 
the Bible in the Old Testament and the New talks quite a bit about false prophets. So when Jesus spoke to his Jewish audience and he said, beware of false prophets, you're going to know them by what what fruit they produce, then his hearers, who maybe were more familiar with the Old Testament than us, would say, oh, I know the type of fruit that he's referring to. So let me very quickly, as we close our sermon, what type of fruit are we to be aware of? Taking a look at the Old Testament and the New, this is very kind of overviewish. It's not in depth, but I think it's a helpful start for us. What does a false prophet do? And then what does a false prophet teach? Let me very quickly address that. Number one, what false prophets do? I've got about five things here. Number one, what they say will happen, that is what they predict, does not come to pass. That is, they're false prophets. They say, this is coming. This is going to happen. And then if it doesn't, so for instance, if somebody says, hey, Jesus is coming back or the rapture is going to happen, say after certain events or certain things in the sky or certain things in the earth, and this is, this is when it's going to happen, this time frame, this date, and it doesn't happen, Deuteronomy 18 says they're false prophets. Number two, they live immoral lifestyles. We see that throughout the scriptures. Often, those who are false prophets don't practice what they preach. It may take time to be revealed. You may not see it immediately, but they often fall into sin. Oftentimes, history tells us some sort of sexual sin. Number three, they desire prominence and position. 2 Corinthians 11. And so, friends, just beware. When there's a leader, a teacher, a prophet out there, and um, they care more about themselves and their name and their ministry and their budget than God and his glory, watch out. They They might be false prophets. Number four, the Bible says they depart from orthodox churches and they spurn authority. This is something I've noticed. Oftentimes, heretics get kicked out of the churches they're in because they're heretics, and they go and start their own, and they spurn authority. The scripture makes this clear, both in the Old and the New Testament, oftentimes that a false teacher, they don't want to have accountability. They don't want somebody over them. They don't want a denomination or a board of elders or a board of deacons holding them responsible. No, it's, it's their ship. It's their show. Number five, they are driven by greed, and they exploit the church. Friends, when a leader or a teacher is getting excessively rich, and I use that word, excessively rich off of their ministry, if they often ask for money, if they're asking for money because they need a new private jet for ministry purposes, let me just warn you, they might be a false prophet. Number five. No, nope, I just said that. So that's what they do. That's what they do. What do they teach? Very quickly here. What do they teach? Number one, their teaching is sourced in extra-biblical revelation. All that that means is that they will often say, well, the Lord told me this, and the Lord told me that. And, well, the Bible doesn't say it, but this is what God told me. In other words, their real authority is not the Word of God, but it's themselves. Number two, they contradict the Bible. That's a pretty good clue, right? And so let me just give you a warning. Just because you see somebody teaching on TV and they're reading the Bible and they're quoting the Bible does not mean that they're not contradicting the Bible. Because heretics use the Bible. Heretics read the Bible. They don't understand it. They don't apply it consistently and faithfully. 
So here's what you need to do. Read the Bible for yourselves. How will you know if you're hearing me? How will you know if you see somebody on TV and they're preaching this book to you and they're taking it out of context? How will you know unless you have read the Bible for yourself? I want to show a really short clip here. It's a scene from uh, The Grinch, the one with Jim Carrey. Not the cartoon one, but the other one. And uh, in this scene, the mayor of Whovale claims to quote a portion of the book of Who. And then little Cindy Lou Who questions whether it's really in the book. Let's just watch this real fast. denominations for that who among us who best typifies the qualities of Hoodum and Hooderee, the Whoville Holiday Cheermeister. Do I hear a nomination? I nominate the Grinch! <laughs> my, my, my. What an altruistic daughter you have there, Lou. Thank you. Cindy? Let me uh, quote a verse from the book of Who. Thank you. Ah, the term Grinchy shall apply when Christmas spirit is in short Supply, now I ask you, does that sound like our holiday cheermeister? True, Mr. Mayhew, but the book of Who says this too. No matter how different a Who may appear, he will always be welcome with holiday cheer. Well, yes, but the, the uh, book also says the, uh, the award cannot go to the Grinch because sometimes uh, things get the lead pipe cinch. Say that. Oh, no, 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 it does. <gasps> what page? Ah, uh, oops, lost my, uh, my, my place, but it's, <clears throat> it's, it's in here. But the book does say the cheermeister is the one who deserves a backslap or a toast, and it goes to the soul at Christmas who needs it most, and I believe that soul is the Grinch, and if you're the who's I hope you are. You will, too. She's right. <laughs> All right. So, friends, I'd encourage you. Be like little Cindy Lou Who, right? Evaluate what you hear. Number three, they preach a different gospel. They distort the gospel. It's not a gospel of salvation through grace, by the means of faith and faith alone without works but they distort the gospel. Number four, they turn the grace of God into license. That is, they say, well, God's grace is so big that we can do whatever we please, that sin is not sin, and we can sin as much as we want, and because, well, God, you know, grace covers that, right? Churches today that affirm moral or sexual behavior that is clearly contrary to the word of God would certainly fit this category. Number five, finally, no, two more. Their messages are one of hope and peace, to the exclusion of repentance from sin. Friends, hear this. 
when a teacher or a prophet only wants to talk about positive things, and they never want to mention things like sin and evil and the the necessity of repentance or of judgment, they fit what Ezekiel 13 talks about, okay? And number six, they they appeal to the masses by saying what they want to hear. In other words, they tickle people's itching ears. So friends, Jesus warns us, don't be fooled. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So, two roads. The road leading to eternal life, the road leading to eternal death. Faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from sin and trust in him, being born again, and rejection of that and taking your own road. There are two roads and there are two trees, true prophets and false prophets prophets. We will know them by our fruit. Friends, Jesus has said, and he will say as we finish the Sermon on the Mount next week, make your choice. He lays this out before us. You must choose. But as the old, uh, the old wise um, knight in Indiana Jones says, you must choose, but, but choose wisely. Let's pray, and as we're praying, we're going to ask the worship team to come and lead us in one more song, a very appropriate song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. So let's pray, if you will. Father, thank you for laying out this pathway for us, for letting us know that there is life and death, that there is heaven and that there is hell, and it's all dependent upon what we do with your son, Jesus. And so I pray now, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, and they don't know what path they are on, or maybe they do know that they are on the broad path, then, Father, may they heed your son's words. Enter through the narrow gate. Lord, I pray even now that they would call upon you in prayer, asking for the forgiveness of sins with repentance, trusting in your free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, his life and death for us and his powerful resurrection to give us eternal life forever. May they even now trust in him and may they exit the broad path and enter the narrow. We pray it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Church, let's stand and sing together. Thank mm-hmm. you.